Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. I want to give you this morning a simple principle that will change every single part of your life. It'll transform how, how you're married, how you're single, how you go to work, how you go to school, how you're a parent, grandparent. It will change every single part of your life. It is the most powerful principle that I can think of. It's the principle that I call the principle of the first 15. The good news is it's simple. Anybody here can do it. You're a believer. You can do it. You're not sure what you believe. You're a skeptical person. You can believe it. You've been walking with the Lord for 80 years. You can do it. You're in middle school. You can do it. Anybody here can do it. That's the good news. The bad news is that it is deceptively simple. And you're going to think very quickly this morning that, that you understand what it is. And you're going to be totally wrong. I'm going to have to circle back in about 20 minutes and explain to you the real power of this principle this morning. Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Forrest. I'm the pastor at Munger Place Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm a friend of John's. And he called me a few weeks ago and realized he was going to be out of town leading up to this Sunday. And so on vacation, he wanted somebody else to preach for him. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, the guy is on vacation. He works one day a week. (laughs) Which, let me just say on behalf of John, shows how little you really understand what he does because it's actually just a half day. (laughs) You've been reading through the Bible together as a congregation. My church did the same thing last year, and we're in the book of Daniel. Let me give you some history behind it. In about 1000 B.C., King David is king in Jerusalem. You know the biblical story. You've been reading it. The kingdom of Israel splits in the time of David's grandson Rehoboam into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. This is about 900 B.C., The northern kingdom is destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom persists, son after son, all the way from David all the way down to the last king in 587 B.C. When the Babylonians come against Jerusalem, besiege it, and in 586 B.C., one of the most important biblical dates you can have, in 586 B.C., Jerusalem is fallen, the temple is raised to the ground, The treasures of God's house are carried off into exile in Babylon, along with the best and brightest of Israel, including a man we call Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The book of Daniel is about being the people of God in exile in Babylon. The psalmist says, how can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? That's what the book of Daniel is about. How to be somebody who goes to work when the people around you don't believe what you believe. Sound familiar? How to be somebody who goes to school and what certain people believe is not what you've been taught to believe. How to be a a minority is what the book of Daniel is about. And, of course, the most famous story in the book of Daniel is found in Daniel chapter 6. It's what basically everybody knows about Daniel, whether you know anything about the Bible or not. It's about Daniel in the lion's den, about Daniel in the lion's den. And there's a little throwaway verse in Daniel in the lion's den that I think changes the whole feel of the story. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. At this point, Daniel is an older man. And King Darius, the Persian king, has come and taken over Babylon, but Daniel is still in exile. 
And Daniel is someone who other people dislike and are jealous of. And so some of his other colleagues high up in the government service orchestrate a plot against Daniel. And they have the king sign into a law that says, a law that says, in essence, unless you pray to the king of the Persians, you shall be put to death. And our story picks up, therefore, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed this new law that makes it illegal to pray to anybody but to the king of the Persians. When Daniel knew that this document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. What a beautiful detail. Babylon, of course, is in modern-day Iraq. It is to the east of Jerusalem, so you look back west, heading toward Jerusalem. He had windows open to the west. Look at this. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. The story continues. Daniel, of course, knew what was going to happen. He's captured, sentenced to death, thrown into the lion's den, and God miraculously provides for him. You know that part of the story, but it's this part that I find so powerful. That when the decree has been signed, Daniel, with the windows wide open towards Jerusalem, where anybody can see it, continues to do what has been his habit since he was a small boy, which is he prays in a habitual way towards God. Now, you go to LAX airport, and you take a 747 Boeing jumbo jet that's meant to take off from LAX and make its way towards New York City. And you shift the nose of that airplane... 3.5 degrees, about 7 feet, so just a little bit longer than my outstretched arms. When it takes off, even though it's intending to go to New York, that 3.5 degree difference will have it land, in fact, 225 degrees to the south in Washington, D.C. What's the point? Small things matter compounded over time. We have this idea in the Christian life that it's like the big moment, the moment when the guards come for you to throw you into the den, that's when it's all about it. I don't think that's true. I think Daniel's story is about all those other afternoons when he prayed towards Jerusalem when his life wasn't on the line. It's about the small habitual actions that we take that build us into our lives. Good decisions and bad decisions compound over time. One donut doesn't matter. But one donut for the next 60 years, you'd be a whole different person. Choosing not to go to the coffee shop tomorrow morning and saving those few bucks won't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't do anything with $3.75. But you do that every day. For 20 years, you have that kind of financial discipline. It'll change your financial life. It's the small actions over time that matter, which leads me to what I like to call the principle of the first 15. Very simple. It is to spend the first 15 minutes of every day in silence, prayer, and scripture. The principle of the first 15. The most important thing to do every day is to spend the first 15 minutes of every day in silence, prayer, and scripture. It's so easy and so difficult. You know, they, they created monasteries because prayer is difficult and focus is difficult. 
But if prayer and focus were difficult 1,500 years ago, how much harder it is for us with these little computers in our pocket that are buzzing and pulling on our attention? Literally, some of the smartest people on earth are using all their powers to make sure your eyeballs are looking at that screen from morning till night. They make money when they have my attention. It is so difficult as a follower of Jesus in 21st century America to learn the disciplines of silence, prayer, and scripture. And that's why it's so important. I wonder if, if, if the real key for us when it comes to being a faithful church, faithful individuals, faithful husbands, faithful wives, faithful grandparents, faithful students, is to learn that God compounds our small actions over time. I wonder if we tend to make too much of the, the intensity of our feelings at certain times and too little of the consistency of our actions. I like to say, though, that consistency is more important than intensity. I mean, you know this if you have any middle school kids in your house and they fall in love with other middle school kids. Dad, I love him. And you say, no, you don't. I don't care what you feel like today. You don't love him. There's a reason in our wedding vows our ancestors were so wise to put the words they did, for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health. It's not about the intensity of what you feel on the wedding day when you stand before God in the congregation. It's about how you live it out the next day, the next week, the next 10 years, and the next decades, and so on. Consistency trumps intensity. And, and the principle of the first 15, I think, is the thing that shapes us greater than anything else we can do. You're about to start reading the New Testament. And one of the things that strikes you when you read the Gospels is how often they remark on Jesus rising early in the morning to spend time apart by himself to pray. If Jesus needed to withdraw to a desolate place to pray before the Heavenly Father, how much more do I? How much more do we? And yet we think that we can somehow kind of muscle our way through without that regular discipline. Here's what I think. I think that if it hadn't been Daniel's habit to pray in that way, there would be no story of Daniel in the lines then because he never would have stood up and stood for his faith anyway. He would have conformed to the culture and he had nothing to give otherwise. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Well, the point is salt is meant to be different from the things in which it seasons. Our only way to be different is to learn these habitual habits over time. But habits are hard because this thing is calling to us every morning. You got to see what your boss emailed you about overnight, or what the market's closed about overseas, or what things are trading at right now, or what the sports scores are, or what somebody else posted on Instagram. And before you know it, your day is in the beginning, and you've lost that early morning opportunity for focus and quiet before God. It's the principle of the first 15. Now, I'm the kind of person that if I go to the gym without a plan, I'll do the easiest possible exercise, and about five minutes later, I'll just leave. I need like a regimen, like a plan I'm going to follow. And this is the genius of the Bible reading plan y'all are following. There's probably some of you who started on January the 1st, and I'm going to read the Bible, and by January the 2nd, you said it's too hard and you've quit. There's others of you that have probably kept up pretty well, missing some days. There's some of you probably, if I know church people, because our church is the same way, who are like five weeks behind, but you keep thinking, I'm going to catch up this week. This is the week I'm going to catch up. I'm going to make it on up. I want to encourage you wherever you are, 
whoever you are, to jump back in tomorrow morning. You're near the tail end of the Old Testament, just a few more weeks, and then in about two weeks, you're going to start reading the New Testament together as a congregation, which provides the plan. You don't need to worry about what you're going to do when you open the Bible in the morning just to sit. You have a plan to follow, to work your way through, and you won't be the only one doing it. I cannot stress to you in a too much of an exaggerated way the importance of that daily time in Scripture. And I know you're thinking, well, I don't always understand the Bible, or some parts of it are difficult. It doesn't matter. Make it your habit and let God compound your actions over time. See, there is actually no such thing as an overnight success. Daniel doesn't become Daniel in that one moment. Daniel has become Daniel over the decades of habitual prayer and silence and pouring over the Word of God day after day, morning by morning. We Americans, we want the overnight success. We want the silver bullet, the miracle drug. But you know that's not how it works. Some of you may have seen this when it came out two years ago. And though I've seen it many times, it never fails to remind me of the truth about what it takes to be a success in this world. And it never fails to inspire me about what it might look like to do the same thing in my own life. Check out this video. what you do in the dark that puts you in the light. We have this idea that Michael Phelps was always Michael Phelps and that winning a gold medal is easy if you're Michael Phelps, but that's not true. And we know it's not true in the fields of industry or expertise that we have. There are no overnight successes. You don't become Daniel in a moment. You become Daniel in a series of moments over a lifetime. When the decree was signed, Daniel went home, had his windows open towards Jerusalem, and he knelt down and he prayed towards the Lord, as was his custom, here as an exile in a foreign land. What's your custom? What are your habits? What, is the, what are the 40%, the experts tell us, 40% of our day is unthinking behavior, our habitual actions. What are those for you? How many times a day do you pull out this thing and look at it? How many times today do you mindlessly scroll? What's shaping you? When you wake up in the morning, what do you do first? And what have you done for the last seven days and the previous seven years? Who are you becoming? It's what you do in the dark that puts you in the light. It's habitual actions over time that are compounded both for good and for evil. 
The small, faithful action done every morning, it's not glamorous. Nobody else knows about it, but it will shape you over time. And those nagging bad habits, the bad thought pattern, the unhealthy behavior, that will also compound over time in ways that exceed what you can possibly imagine at the beginning. And the problem, the problem, of course, is that anything in life that's worth having comes with a cost now, and the rewards are in the future. When Daniel first started praying, he didn't know one day he was going to face the choice and the challenge of being faithful unto death for his faith. And the bad habits we have, they pay off right away. So you go in the office tomorrow morning and you're, you're, you're excited you're going to have a good, a good plan for a good diet. And they've put out a bunch of new donuts. It doesn't make you feel better if you don't eat the donut in the moment. You know what makes you feel good? Sprinkles all over your face. That's what makes you feel good. And, and that's the problem with the habits. That's the problem tomorrow morning. Because you're going to get up and your boss is meant to send you the latest sales report overnight or you got to get your kids going, or you overslept because you stayed up too late tonight watching through Netflix. And the idea of spending time in prayer and silence in Scripture to begin to open up the prophets where you are, the minor prophets, and read through them will seem like a waste of time because you have things you need to do, and you have stuff you need to check off. But like everything worth having, a life full of peace and poise, in the presence of God, comes with a cost and the joy that is often realized in the future. Just because tomorrow morning you're not going to want to do it is probably the clearest indicator you could have that you need to do it. And here's the problem, though. Tomorrow morning, if you get up and read your Bible, it'll seem like nothing changes in your day. Your marriage may still be in the same fractious place that it is. Your kids may be still deep in the grip of addiction as they are now. You may have the same problems financially and at work. And you're going to pray next week, all week. And next time you're going to come back to church and it might be that nothing in your life has really changed. It may seem like that the problems are still there. And the bad habits are going to be calling you back. The immediate dopamine hit of your Instagram feed or the sense of righteous outrage we get when we turn on the television and we dislike our political enemies they give you an immediate hit. And it's going to be so, so, so easy to slide back out of it. Daniel 6.10. When the decree was signed, Daniel went home, had his windows open towards Jerusalem, and he prayed to the Lord, as was his custom previously. Those habits are the ones that will make the difference. When I came this morning, I filled up this tea kettle from room temperature water. It's about 70 degrees. And you saw me. I lit the match, turned on the gas, and lit the flame. 71 degrees. It's not that different from 70 degrees. It doesn't really matter. And tomorrow morning, you're going to get up and pray, read the Bible. You're going to sit still. You're going to have your cup of coffee on your back patio or sit at your kitchen counter. Before anybody else gets into the office, you're going to be there in silence. You're going to sit still. 
And then the voices are going to tell you, this is a waste of time because you got stuff to do and things to matter. 72 degrees, it doesn't matter. It seems not to make any difference whatsoever. And you add some more heat and what is it, 85 degrees? I can tell the difference with 85 degrees with my touch, but it doesn't really do anything. Let's say you add 20 more degrees, that's 105 degrees. At 105 degrees, it's like a nice warm bath. It feels good, but it's a long way from boiling. I think the problem a lot of us make with this simple principle of the first 15 is that we expect overnight results. It's the equivalent of us being like Michael Phelps and thinking after you hit the gym one time, you're ready to win the gold medal every time. If you have one hard day of swimming, and that's all you need to win it. But here's the thing in the kingdom of God. There is no entropy. Nothing is ever wasted. See, I feel this kettle at 70 degrees. And at 75 degrees, it looks like nothing matters. And at 105 degrees, it's hot to the touch, but it's still a long way from boiling. You add 50 more degrees. It's 155 degrees. It'll hurt you when you touch it. It's not even close to boiling. You bring it up to 200 degrees. Maybe there's some steam on the water. It begins to boil and roil a little bit. And you keep adding the heat. 205, 206, 207. It's still not boiling. 208, 209, 211. And finally, at 212 degrees, the water begins to roil and roll, and the kettle begins to whistle. Now, here's the thing. Those first few degrees were not wasted. They were never wasted. It seemed at 75 degrees that it doesn't matter. It's going to seem after five days of reading the Scripture in the morning that nothing has changed. It might seem like that after a year or five years, but in the kingdom of God, no faithful actions are ever wasted, ever And just as when you apply the heat, each degree builds on the other until the moment when it boils in the same way. For decades, faithfully in Babylon, Daniel remembered the Lord. He remembered Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and he prayed. He gave himself silence and prayer and scripture. In the same way in our lives, God will not waste faithful actions. You want to be an overnight success. There are no overnight successes. You know it. And I know it. What matters are faithful actions over time. And the presence and power of God, when you are faithful in the morning, when you take a little bit of time just to be still with your feet on the floor and just say, thank you, Lord, for a new day, it's like the degree upon the degree in the boiling water. It's going somewhere. And here's what's amazing. No matter how hard I train, or how many hours I spend in the pool, I'm never going to be Michael Phelps. And sometimes in the Christian life, we can make the mistake of thinking that it's the intensity we bring to it. I'm going to be that kind of Christian. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to give it all for the Lord. God bless you in that effort. But don't forget that it's not you that brings things to a boil when it comes to the spiritual life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord are searching over the whole earth for men and women whose hearts are committed to him so he can strengthen them. This idea of the first 15, spending time in prayer, in silence, in scripture, 
It is not at all about the strength or effort you bring to it. It's only about your availability. You're like the room temperature water, and the Holy Spirit provides the flame to bring things alive. So, as deeply as I believe anything, if this congregation at Cornerstone Church and your family and you individually are going to be the people that God wants, longs, and created you to be, the most important thing you can do is spend time every single day in silence and in prayer and scripture. And if you do that over time, I guarantee you that God will change who you are. Not in some kind of movie sense. It's not that right now you have an offer to move. Do I move to this city or that city with your job? And tomorrow morning when you pray, God will just answer your prayer like that. It turns out the Lord often doesn't answer prayers like that. What I have found, however, is that just opening myself up every morning in silence and prayer and scripture before I pick up my phone and scroll through things, before I feel like what people are saying about me, when I just sit and receive, it turns out over time I have more clarity on which job I should take or which thing is important or not. In fact, for me right now in my life, there's things in my life I don't know about, big decisions I have to make. The one thing I do know is that God has called me to prayer in the morning. And for me, there's a sense of clarity to that. When I'm not sure what to do, when they're signing the law that's going to put me in the lion's den, so to speak, and I'm not sure how to behave or what to do or what's prudent or what's wise, the one thing I do know is that God has called me to this prayer. God has called me to the first 15, to silence and prayer in Scripture. And there's something comforting about that, that if I just open myself up to the power of the Holy Spirit and the clarity of the Word of God, God will do the rest. So tomorrow morning, the sun is going to rise, God willing. And some of you are going to wake up on perfect days, and everything's great in your life. And some of you are going to wake up on difficult days. And those of you who have perfect days tomorrow are going to have difficulty in the future. And those of you who have difficulty tomorrow will have some good things in the future. That's the way life works. It's sort of both the good and the bad. But the most important thing you can do is to open yourself up to the grace and the constancy of God and see how he uses it. I've been traveling a lot this summer and I've gotten out of some really important habits, not in my own house, not in my own rhythm. But this morning in my hotel, just over here, I got up in the dark, kneeled on the side of my dead bed and just thanked God for the day, read a little bit of scripture, prayed, and was just still. I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow morning back in my house. And my challenge to you is, will you join me? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this church. And I pray, Lord, that you're going to do greater things through them than they can ask or imagine. And I pray, Lord, just like Daniel, you would take their habitual actions and when the moments of crisis that require courage come, you would have already prepared them to be the people you need them to be. I pray, Lord, that you use their faithful actions over time to unleash greater compassion and joy and reconciliation power in this community. And we pray this expectantly, knowing that you, who has begun a good thing in us, are faithful to complete it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.